This is Recode Media with me, Peter Kafka, in a very small room in New York, next to producer Zach Mack. I'm going to take you back in time and back across the West Coast of Los Angeles, where we hosted the Code Media Conference. It was a damn good conference, if I do say so myself. This is one of my favorite conversations I had there. This is Carolyn Everson, who runs ad sales for Facebook, which means she's one of the most important people in the media and tech world. It's like $55 billion worth of ad sales last year. Uh, This is a wide-ranging conversation. Of course, we had a lot of talk about Facebook's politics and ads policies. Um, We get into it. It's good stuff. If you're deep into this stuff, you want to check that uh, Carolyn eventually had to walk back a couple things here, but the gist of it is still what she's trying to get across. Enjoy. You're going to disappear into that chair, but I appreciate it. I know. I'm on brand, though, Peter. I'm on brand. Thank you for that. Did you realize that John Stanky and and AT&T and Time Warner and Warner Media are just this little company and you're going to smush them? Um, We certainly don't think of them as a little company. We have a lot of admiration for them. They're an important partner, an important client, so we certainly don't view them that way. I want to talk to you about the role of advertising in this world that we're discussing. Um, first, let's talk about politics. When I asked you to come on, I didn't realize we'd have this discussion, but now we're going to have it. For the last month, I think, uh, your bosses, Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, have been defending your policy towards political advertising, which in short is, don't lie unless you're a politician, then it's okay to lie in an ad. Are you going to change that? We have no plans to change the policy. I think this is a really difficult one to think about, and it's a lot more than meets the eye what you hear in the headlines. We strongly believe that we should not be the arbiter of truth. And if you try to attempt to fact check political ads, it becomes extremely difficult to determine if I'm a candidate and I say I'm gonna lower the deficit by X billion or trillion, I'm not gonna raise taxes, who can fact check that? But you guys do fact check lots of stuff and it is difficult for you and you struggle with it, but you could certainly try to do it. We certainly can, but politics is a very different ball game and we really believe that Washington DC needs to put regulation. As a citizen, and I'm sure you want this too, probably everybody in this audience, we'd like to know that the ads we see from our political candidates are truthful. That's really important for democracy. You want the government arbiting what's truthful and not, not We think there should be regulation. We do not think Facebook should be choosing what is true or not. And just to be clear, you so said there's no plans to change your policy, but I keep hearing that you are maybe looking at tinkering or with it, um, maybe limiting um, the level of ad targeting that you guys offer. What's the status of that discussion? So there, there have been a lot of reports about the changes we may be considering. And here's what I would say. We're looking constantly at how we can make political ads more effective on the platform. So for example, we launched the ad library. So now Facebook is the most transparent ad platform in the world. Every candidate's ads are up there for seven years, every issue ad, how much they're spending, who they're targeting, all of the creative. We think that's important. And so when we, some of the rumblings you're hearing in the press is really actually the the continued work of our team as we talk to people around what could we be doing better than we're doing today. I'm gonna translate that as that's a thing you're talking about? We are not talking about changing the targeting. I know that was reported. That's that's not on the table. That is not on the table. What about a a blackout period on political advertising before a certain amount before an election? There are a number of changes. More transparency is definitely, how do we make it more clear to a person that when they see an ad from a political candidate, it is that. It has not been fact-checked, it's a political ad. Um, We're looking at making that more transparent. That's probably the area that I would say more than anything. What about the idea of whether it's limiting ad targeting or or anything else, of, of making political advertising less efficient on Facebook so it's harder to do 
massive campaigns at scale that's really just impossible for anyone, whether it's the government or you or a third party, to monitor. I think that's the big overall concern is the scale you guys are at. There really isn't any way you can A-B test stuff live on the fly. You could do thousands of campaigns a day. Um, and that works really well for you guys when you're selling all sorts of stuff. Um, you had an FCC commissioner saying this, the rules for selling soap should not be the same rules for selling political ads. And basically, you should sort of make your ad machine work less well. I don't think this is about making the ad machine work less well. I mean, we are a global company. And so when you think about the importance of political advertising around the world, I can tell you there are about 70 to 90 major elections a year in countries around the world. And there are people with the smallest constituents in a local mayoral race or a city race that are happening around the world that depend on our platforms to get their message out. To date, in the Democratic primary that's happening here in the United States, the Democratic candidates have spent more than President Trump has. And we think that's important because there's a very big uh, Democratic primary occurring, a lot of candidates, and they need to get their messaging out and let people decide what messages are resonating, what's truthful, and that is not the role that Facebook should be playing and in interfering with democracy. Do you, do you agree with Cheryl and Mark? Do you differ in, 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 I mean, I know it's probably hard to say you disagree with the CEO live on stage. Do so, you share their opinion? So here's what, I, I do share their opinion, and here's why. My Sometimes my first reaction, admittedly, is like, can't we make a change here, right? So I'll give you another example. When that when the Pelosi um, video was running around and somebody had Not doctored her up. Not a deep fake, up. but doctored. Right, somebody had doctored her up. You know, I have to tell you that initial emotional reaction, because I want the platform to be safe and secure and protected, was can't we take it down? That's a normal human reaction. Probably many of you in the audience may have had it. And then I always, my education around how complicated these issues are goes from this to this on everything. Well, if you're gonna take the Pelosi video down, then why have we not taken down the millions of videos that have been doctored about Trump, about Bush, about Obama, about celebrities? We haven't, so why do you take it down right there in that emotional instinct? And so when the political ad, when the Biden ad happens and the Warren ad, I think there, it's very natural for people to say, wait a second, how is this happening? Why is this, can't you do something better? But the real test of whether or not a company stands behind their principle, we allowed the Warren ad to run that said we endorse Trump. I know that's factually incorrect. No, and so did anyone who looked at it because they said this is fake. But it, it didn't, we ran it. That's the point. We stuck to our principle. That but but one, one is an intentionally provocative thing saying we're going to critique Facebook's advertising policy. The other one was meant to deceive people. We don't know. Does, Mar does, does Mark Zuckerberg actually know, factually know, was he in the room with Trump and the Ukrainian government or Biden or Biden's No, we're not in a position. And I don't think, I think once, and I've had so many conversations about this, everything from dinner parties to client meetings to everything. Once you say to somebody, do you really want Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook executives to be the arbiter of political truth? The answer is typically no. This seems like the ongoing discussion we've had with Facebook now for many years, which is we've built this thing, it's really big, we're not comfortable really making decisions about how some parts of it run, and that's kind of weird on the outside to say you built this thing that you don't want to operate anymore. You want someone else to operate it. We don't, we want help with regulation. We have asked, Mark has been very clear, he wants help with regulation around privacy, 
take GDPR out of the EU. We rolled that out globally. Yep. We think more regulation around consumer privacy would be a good thing. We want regulation around data interoperability and being able to port your data from one service to another. We want it around election integrity. We want it around content policies. We think that that would be very healthy for the entire ecosystem to develop. And if one company is making decisions and then another company is making different decisions, we don't think that's actually very good for the development of the ecosystem overall. Okay, we're going to leave politics for now. Maybe it's okay. going to come back. Okay. Uh, let's talk about broader advertising questions. We're going to hear, we're going to be talking about this throughout the next couple of days, the role of advertising in, in the streaming wars world, in a world where people have a lot more choice about what they watch and how they pay for it. Um, and I'll just keep saying it again, right? 160 million Netflix subscribers ad-free, Disney has 10 million ad-free subscribers to Disney+. Plus. WarnerMedia's first product they're rolling out as a new company is an ad-free product. It looks like when people are saying, look, the best stuff we're going to give you is stuff you're going to pay for, and then also you're not going to watch ads. And I'm wondering how you think as a professional ad seller about that proposition. So look, I think it depends on the lens that you're looking at these. You know, the, if you add up the subscription streaming services right now, if you want Netflix, you want Hulu with ads, you do Disney Plus, start adding them up, these are expensive. They're very expensive for the average consumer. I mean, you could add up and over, be over $300 a month if yeah, you start. You don't have to do that. You pick the stuff you want. Exactly. But we're in a world where we're saying consumers are going to have all this disposable income. We take a little bit of a different point of view. We take the point of view that an ad-supported model is one that we deeply believe in. Number one, it allows us to provide all of our services for over 2.7 billion people for free. Number two, it allows businesses to have access to tools for free. So we have 7 million advertisers, and we're really proud of that number, and it's an important constituent base. But there's 140 million businesses that use all of our tools for free to Let's grow their businesses. that advertising is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It supports the company I work for. Um, we have sponsors sponsoring this mm -hmm. event. But it seems like there are generations of consumers expecting to get stuff on demand whenever they want and get it without ads. So we don't see that. We actually, what we hear, the, one of the biggest complaints about our advertising, and it's certainly getting better, but I've been at the company for nine years, and I remember being shocked at this, was if you know something about me, Facebook, why can't you serve more relevant ads? And if you look at the evolution of the advertising on Facebook and Instagram, I meet people all the time that tell me, I bought my sneakers, I bought my shirt, I bought a bag, I found a suitcase that I loved, I found packing bags, I found pet products, meal plans. That is delighting the consumer, and that is a, that is a multi-generational like thing. Yes, if they're relevant and useful, if they're disruptive. So if you take somebody that just bought a car and they get served up uh, car ads, that's really irrelevant to them. They think it's a waste of time. They're annoyed. If they just bought a particular car and they see a generic ad from that car company and that car company doesn't recognize that they're a new customer, yeah. they're annoyed. Or I bought the Zappos shoes and Zappos then is advertising those shoes to me for the next year. That's I'd like that to stop. Can you stop that? <laughs> I'll work on that. Can you talk to them about I'll that? I'll work on that. Okay. Yes, but I think people want relevant ads. They want ads that are useful, that delight them, that provide some type of service to them. And I think if that, we used to, in the advertising, and I've been doing this now for a very long time, advertising, we used to think we had a right to interrupt people. We're giving you the content for free, so you better sit through our interruptions and listen to our ads. It's no longer about that. Advertising needs to be built for people, not at people. And that's the big shift that's happening. 
you guys have taken many different runs at video. We're going to talking a lot about video here today. Facebook Watch is sort of your, your current yes. product you're using to sort of get into that space. How is it going? It, you don't hear much discussion about it in, in these circles right now. So Facebook Watch has been out there for a couple of years. And I would tell you the first year was really slow, like by our definition. Slow in terms of In users? terms of just figuring out growth and did we have the right fit and all of that. And then about a year ago, August, so now about 15 months ago, what we describe as product market fit, when we start seeing the thing take off. And now we have a 720 million people that come on a monthly basis to Facebook Watch. And those are people who click on the tab, they're not watching it in the newsfeed? That's total people watching it within in-stream as well as Facebook Watch. So if I watch a Facebook Watch video but yes, it's served to me in the newsfeed, you're that. counting on that? Okay. Yes, and that is the content within Facebook Watch. And what we have found is it's an open platform. We're experimenting with a mixture of types of content. We have some originals, so like, sorry for your loss, return the favor is like, those are doing incredibly well. Then we have music videos, we have short sports clips, we have some obviously clips that are created by creators in that universe. So it's a mixture of content that people are finding to be very valuable. We're in the early stages, admittedly. I mean, some of our competitors have been doing video longer than we have, but we're definitely pleased with the traction. Marketers are starting to buy into it in a much more significant way. Some of them want that format because it's more its more like TV. It's 15 seconds, right. the sound is typically on, as and that's a, a comfortable format. As a consumer, I know that if I want to watch TV, I, if I'm old, I click the cable box, and, or I go to Netflix, I go to watch television, I will go to watch video somewhere. Are Facebook users coming to Facebook to watch video, or is it just, it's an afterthought? So we have about 150 million that do some type of that on a daily basis. Some type of? Watching, like coming specifically to watch I want to watch this show with yes. Jada Pinkett. And so, you know, it's small when you compare us to a lot of the other platforms, but we're starting to see that behavior, and the goal is to build that behavior over time so that it's a very deliberate action that people are taking. And is it a different kind of video that I would expect to watch on YouTube? or Netflix? Is, it, is there something Facebook-y about it? Or is it a video as a video? Yep. So I think, you know, Netflix is really much more about curated, more professional, you typically longer form content as their core base. And that's the same with Hulu and, and many of the other streaming services. And we're not trying to compete with that. I don't think you're going to see us in the, you know, writing huge checks for yep. content to compete with the streaming services. I think what you you're going to see is... You guys have made some bids, though, for, for video. Have. You bid for cricket in India. We have. We've We've tested some sports bidding. What's the thinking behind bidding on, on sports for you guys? Well, what we were trying to understand is do people want to come and watch a full sporting experience or do they want the highlight clips? And so we're testing both right now to see what, what people prefer. And of course, the strategy is potentially different in each country. So, you know, we operate essentially everywhere except China and each country, the sporting development and what we're doing is, is, is very unique. But I think you'll see us more shorter form videos. There'll be some scripted material like we have some of the originals but it'll be much bigger mixture. And, and just to go back to sports one more time, you bid that, you made that cricket bid. Does that mean that you could bid for a direct, you know, the Sunday ticket or, you know, what we consider a major professional American sport? I don't think we are going to see us do that in the in the near term. I really don't. I think you're going to see us focusing much more on the highlight clips, which seem to be doing very, very well. 
and also are economically in our favor compared to all of the folks that are bidding very significant dollars for the other stuff. So whenever this Thursday night NFL package comes up, there'll be a digital rights thing. Twitter's done it. Amazon's done it. You guys have looked at it. You're not going to go for it this time? I think it'll be a big question as to whether or not we go for it. That's a fair and, and ambiguous answer. Hey, this is Peter. I'm going to pause this conversation so we can hear from a sponsor. We'll be right back. And now back to a conversation from Code Media. Big picture question. Mark, my time frame is, is mixed up, but I think it was this calendar year, said we're pivoting all of Facebook and we're going to be moving more towards private communication. Yes, that was this year. That was this year. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, it's been a long year. Um, <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> for many people. If he's saying, look, the future of Facebook is private communication, you and I direct yes. messaging each other, et cetera, instead of posting stuff on the news feed, that also seems like that's a big issue for you because you're trying to reach many people at the same time. How do you, how do you adapt to that world? So I think when he said that, um, it gets interpreted as the whole thing is moving towards just one-to-one communication. And what he was really trying to say is that there's going to be sort of two different types of experiences that he sees as critical going forward. The town square type of environment where you post on Facebook or Instagram, you can post publicly or you can post just to your friend group or you can just post to yourself, frankly, but that will continue to exist. It's a huge part of our business and a growing part of our business. But then there are an increasing need for people to want to communicate in a much more intimate Mm -hmm. way. And that's more of the living room experience, whereas Messenger and WhatsApp, and that's between people, people in small groups, also as people in businesses. We are definitely early, early days on figuring out what the advertising model is going to be in that more But you think there will be advertising in that world? Yes, but I think it's going to be maybe perhaps a broader view. Like advertising, you know, I don't even use the word advertising. I typically use the word marketing when I speak with our CMOs and clients because it will be everything from customer service experiences. So KLM, the airline, was one of many airlines that moved a lot of their customer service into Messenger. We had a lot of the fashion brands move their fashion shows. They did them on the, obviously, the runways, but they also brought them into Messenger. So you're going to see businesses really experiment with how do I create an experience that's worthwhile to people in that messaging environment? Because traditionally, right, that's been very, very hard to bring advertising into. Yes. There, there are ads in Gmail, and there were ads in AOL Instant Messenger, and those really didn't take off at, at scale. And hard. people don't want them. If I'm talking to you via direct message, I don't expect expect to see an ad, probably That's- don't want to see it. That's right. And and we have, you know, we have followed the same playbook almost with everything we've done, which is build for consumers first. And if it takes years to figure out the monetization, then so be it. I mean, we bought WhatsApp many years ago. Everyone's waiting for that to be monetized, and we're still focused on the consumer experience there. We have launched a couple of services for businesses. We've launched a small business uh, solution for, for WhatsApp, which is growing incredibly fast. I mean, again, outside of this country, many businesses are running their entire business on WhatsApp. And then we have for Messenger, we have click to Messenger ads, we have click to WhatsApp ads. So if you're in your Facebook or Instagram feed, a business can ask for permission to engage with you in that more private environment. And those are growing very effectively, but you're gonna see us walk very slowly on the monetization advertising model in those privacy environments. But you're gonna get it there. I believe we will, yes. 
uh, right now Instagram is your big growth engine? So Facebook is also growing and continues yes, to grow. I will tell Insta Instagram is growing much faster. Instagram is still, you know, in terms of, if you look at the, the portfolio, 7 million average, well, 140 million businesses for free that use our platform for free, 7 million advertisers across the family, 3 million are utilizing stories. And so there's a big delta there. 4 million have not opted in to try stories. And so you might ask, well, why? Why is that when a billion people a day are using stories? It's a new format. So it takes some time. And what you see is a lot of the disruptor, a lot of the direct-to-consumer brands that you know, don't have the legacy systems in place, they're racing into that. They're getting tremendous value. The pricing is lower because there's not as much demand. So that's going to be a really important growth engine for you us do going hear forward. them, some of those people who got in to Instagram and Facebook mm -hmm. early in the direct-to-consumer, a lot of them advertise on podcasts, God bless them. Yes. Now saying, the pricing actually isn't cheap anymore. It's quite expensive and, and actually... You know, we're not paying rent in a store, we're paying it to you guys, and we need to find other places that aren't as expensive. Do you worry that the, the pricing actually is, is sort of gonna squeeze some of those early folks out? So a few things on, on the pricing and how direct-to-consumer disruptor brands. So first of all, many of them come in when they first start up and they buy what we call CPA, cost per acquisition, which means I will pay you, Facebook or Instagram, X when dollars- When you bring me a customer. When you bring me a customer. And that's how they do that sort of hockey stick growth, right? They've got a formula, they get VC funding, and they grow. And then they sometimes like hit a plateau or a wall, and like then what do they do? And really the next level of sophistication is to start thinking about the lifetime value of that customer. 60 to 80% of the value of, of really comes from your top 20% of your customers. So what happens is those disruptor companies, they acquire a lot of customers, but then only that tier, there's a tier that's super valuable. We have to learn to engage with them. And so then they often plateau and then they hit another exponential period of growth. And so we see the different, I would say, phases of client development. We also see them expanding to TV, the podcasts, other plat, and they sh and we think that's healthy. You know, we just so you're not worried about brand. them leaving Facebook, Instagram for cheaper stuff for stuff that's no. more efficient. No, so I have never told a client you should only be spending on Facebook and Instagram. First of all, that would look utterly ridiculous because I'm a marketer and I know what you have to do. You should be on multiple platforms to get your message out, and we do that too. We just relaunched our brand and we have a ton of creative workout. It's on billboards, it's on TV, it's on other platforms. Like that's a good thing. And so we always try to figure out from a client's perspective, what is gonna drive the client's business? What is the most effective way to drive growth for the client? At what point does Instagram become a bigger business than the, the original Facebook app? I think that you will see that both of them can, I mean, they're both incredibly fast growing businesses. Instagram is a significant contributor. We don't break it out. And so that's, I can't say anything more about the revenue. You can't tell me when it's gonna cross over. I can't break, I can't break the revenue out. You know I can't do that. I gotta ask, why is Facebook now all capital letters? Is that your, <laughs> is that your call? You know, I would hope that you would talk a little bit more than just the capital letters of the uh, You, of the you logo. lay the whole thing on me. I'm a busy guy. All I saw okay. was that it is now the Facebook capital. So we did this for a few reasons. We're behind on our branding and marketing. We, For my first handful of years, we didn't even have a CMO at Facebook. 
there was a belief, because it was very Silicon Valley in tech, that the product does its marketing. But meanwhile, you're on the internet. You have an internet company. Meanwhile, we're advising clients on how to grow their business. We didn't really take our own medicine. And so we got a CMO, and then we have now our second one, Antonio, who's been there for over a year. And the reason for the whole branding of the company and rebranding is really to be much more transparent and clear. There was a lot of people that didn't know that Facebook owned Instagram. There were a lot of people that didn't know Facebook owned WhatsApp. And when we're espousing transparency in everything that we are doing, we've got to be transparent about that. Seems so like people not knowing that Instagram, that Facebook owns Instagram could be a plus for you guys right now. You've got a lot of folks anecdotally saying, I don't want to participate in Facebook. They're bad. They're not sure why, or they think that elected Trump or whatever it is. And then they're posting on Instagram. Are you worried that when you underscore this actually is owned by Mark Zuckerberg, um, that that actually has a, a negative effect? I, I, we believe that it's important to be transparent about that. We think it's absolutely worse if somebody would be to like, well, I didn't know Facebook was involved in Instagram and have something blow up that way. That's way worse. So we felt a real need to be very clear about that. So that's the reason for the company branding. We also are more than the blue app, right? We are, I mean, we were internally, people were always like, are you working at Facebook? Are you working at Instagram? And, you know, we work across the whole family of apps. And so it was time for a company message. We have to tell our story better. Our story has been told a lot frankly, through headlines for the last two and a half years. And it's about time that we try to tell our story a little bit, what we stand for, what are the family of apps and services. And the real test will be in about five years to see whether or not the brand work has actually landed and what people think of it. It's not going to be just because we put out a new logo. It's a lot more than that. We have beautiful creative work, as I said, appearing all around the world. Um, but this is a reaction to the last three years of press and headlines and actual actions, right? This isn't just a press creation that you guys, that people have a negative opinion about you. They're reacting to real things in the world. We've definitely had real issues um, and challenges over the last few years. We've made mistakes. We have to do things better. I think our company is an entirely different company than it was three years ago. And I wouldn't have stayed at Facebook. I've been doing this for 26 years. My reputation means a heck of a lot to me within the marketing community and business community. When I have to look at a CEO in the eye and tell them we've learned our lesson about 2016, we're now trying to do everything we can to protect elections. We have learned our lessons about privacy and we have to be much more transparent and give users more control and accountability. If I didn't see those cultural shifts, it would have been really hard for me to be able to look people in the eye and have the confidence to stay at the company. So it's a very different company than it was three years ago. That's a good segue to open this up to the audience. I have questions if you guys are shy. Hi. Hi. So I've had um, more than 26 years in the business as well. My name's Marissa Freeman. I'm the chief brand officer for Hewlett Packard Enterprise and we're a big customer of yours. Yes. And I've also been on both sides. I've been in the agency business, buying media, making creative, and now I'm on the client side. Throughout my career and way before I was even born, there has been a pact between advertisers and media to be truthful. Sometimes the advertisers don't really want to be, but we have to be, and it's, uh, the, the media companies turn that back on us, the advertiser, and say, it's incumbent upon you to prove to me that you're telling the truth. If you're making claims about your product or your competitor, you have to have tangible proof that we, particularly CBS, I remember always fighting with them, will look at 
and determine whether or not it's truthful. Now, you talk about Facebook being a public square, and for organic content, user-generated, yes, it is. But for paid advertiser content, where you have someone with a big purse who can influence a lot of people, it's incumbent upon both of us to protect the public and tell them the truth. So are you saying that because you have these little communities and small elections, that Facebook can't do this at scale? And that it's too hard to do it at scale? Is that what you're saying? That's no. my question. What is the answer here? And do you disagree with the, the construct that I just set up? Um, so their political speech in this country has been handled very differently than traditional advertising from HP or any, any partner or client. That has been the way it's worked in this country for decades. May I interrupt? I, I've also worked at agencies who do political advertising as well, and they don't get to circumvent standards and practices. So we're we have standards and practices, of course, that the political candidates have to sign up for, but we are not. Just so you know, the ad, the, the ad that started this whole debate, the Biden ad, was run on every single broadcast network, every single digital platform, every cable network except for one. It was run everywhere because we are not allowed as an industry, the, the broadcast industry is not allowed to censor political ads. That's the law. I Standards and practices and censorship. It's not. It's, it puts it back on us yes, to and provide we do have proof those. of claims. We do have standards and practices, but we have no ability legally to tell a political candidate that they are not allowed to run their ad. And that's why we think there should be regulation. Right, but they have to edit the ad to be truthful, or at least I do. In, in both political campaigns and advertising campaigns, we had to re-edit and omit untruths or ambiguities from our advertising. I'll stop because I don't want to turn this into It's okay, a debate, but I will tell but you that CBS is not in, in, in AB. They're not, they're not allowed to censor a political ad. That's the law. Thank you. We're going we're gonna to try to go quickly. Hi. So going back to um, Facebook pivoting their strategy towards private communication, given that they were, um, there was a lot of talk in the last year about the spread of information and fake news on Facebook in the last couple of years, how is the company planning on circumventing that, but also gearing their strategy towards private communication, since large WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups, things like that are actually huge um, culprits of spreading that kind of information. Yeah, so this is an area since 2016. Like 2016, I don't think we had a big enough awareness around the false news, fake news issue, admittedly, right? And now, if you look at the history between 2016 and now, we have third-party fact-checkers in multiple countries around the world. If something is deemed false, if somebody flags it to us, like a, you know, a person using the site, we will, it immediately goes to a third-party fact-checker, and if it is deemed false, it will be labeled as such. Right, she's asking what happens when this conversation is private. And you when it goes in the private. Inside. So what we've done in WhatsApp, we've reduced the distribution dramatically. So we had a big challenge in India where we were having people spread misinformation, and that was because it was an unlimited amount of people you could, you could send your WhatsApp messages to, and now that's, it's been substantially limited. We've learned our lesson in both India and Brazil. So people can still we'll spread lies, but you're going to make it less efficient for them to do it at scale. We have no way of, ch of checking a specific right. message. So you're saying WhatsApp. we're going to make it harder to make these things viral. We're trying to reduce the distribution yeah. of it dramatically, yes. 
Jeff? Having run policy at MySpace in a much simpler time, I'm deeply sympathetic to how hard so much of this is. Um, some of it is also seemingly really easy. So I want to ask you about Breitbart. Um, Steve Bannon himself called it a platform for the alt-right, for white nationalists. Basically, every independent source has said it's a propaganda machine, and yet you all are putting it in your column of trusted news. It seems to me the simplest explanation for that is that's what right-wing politicians demand. Is Facebook saying that Breitbart is a trusted news source, or does it acknowledge that it's a propaganda machine? So we are not paying Breitbart. We're paying for a lot of the other news sources that are in the trusted news. Breitbart has to agree to our terms and conditions, and if they violate them, they will be kicked out. We also have content in from the far left to try to balance the far left and the far right. Again, we did not feel that we should be in a position to make a judgment call to remove the far right and leave the far left in. And so that's how we've approached it. And, and I know that's, it's a sensitive topic. What we do have for advertisers, though, in the audience network is advertisers can certainly choose to not have their advertising appear in But you're in calling Breitbart. it news rather than opinion. It's one thing if you say this is opinion and, you know, go shop it and check it and what have you. But you're calling it news, which it avowedly is not. So, I mean, what I take from the answer, and it's fine if that's the answer, is that we are treating it as a trusted news source. We're treating it as a news source in the term, I wouldn't use the word trusted news because it, it's all going to be dependent on how they follow our policies and if they but don't, But you're putting it in this news out. tab that they're, says this but is so, a... This but to be clear, no, so are the left too. Right, right. But when you put it in the news tab, you are saying this is news. If it, we didn't think it was news, we'd leave it in the main news feed. So you are making a judgment call. We made a call to put them in as well as the far left news sources. Okay. We have just one last very quick question. Sorry we couldn't get to everybody. You mentioned that uh, you, you spent a lot of painstaking efforts to make sure that you bring a great build a great service for the consumer before you figure out the advertising solution. But isn't much of your advertising solution taking those services away from the consumer and asking the publisher to pay for them? So, for example, when you publisher would have a page that used to be, and they would make a post that used to be in the newsfeed, a politician and so on. Now it's essentially impossible to get something into the newsfeed unless you pay for it. So the organic distribution has definitely diminished dramatically given the amount of content in it. In any given minute, you or I could have about 1,500 stories or posts that the algorithm thinks might be interesting to you or I. And so organic content has been diminished dramatically, particularly from marketers and, and, and sort of paid publications because people want to see more content from their family and friends. And so, yes, it is true that advertisers do need to pay to be, have the opportunity to get into that 10 to 15 stories that people see. But, but if I choose to follow a page, right? Yep. I made a choice to do so, just like I made a choice to be friends with my uncle. Sometimes maybe I want to see more content from the, the page that I sign up for than otherwise, but I can't unless, that, unless they're being extorted by Facebook. For no, money. You, can, you, can, um, you can absolutely, you can go in and put your preferences in and tell us. Just like you can tell us, I don't want to hear from these 10 friends or family. I want to see more of that content. All of that is stuff that you can customize to make your experience better. She says they don't extort businesses, Alex. She didn't like that line. Um, Carolyn, I'm so glad you came. Thank you. I Peter, wish we could go me. longer. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you.